You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. In today's episode, Sarah Delphi, Numerical's Vice President of Trust Solutions, returns as our podcast host. For more on her background in fraud prevention and KYC solutions, check out our latest Inside the Innovators article posted on our blog. Today, Sarah welcomes Bradley Reeves, an assistant professor of computer science at North Carolina State University, to discuss how the history and lessons learned from other industries and from academia can help illuminate solutions for achieving call authentication. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday Talks. Uh, Good to see again on this election day, uh, goal being bring truth, shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. Uh, For those who haven't been in our past sessions, uh, I think this is second Tuesday talk for me. I am Sarah Delphi, Numerical's VP of Trust Solutions, and today I am incredibly excited to be joined by Bradley Reeves, who is a assistant professor of computer science at North Carolina State University, right near my house. Uh, welcome, Brad. Good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I have so many questions for you, Brad. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today. Um, we're going to talk about Brad and his background more for anybody who is more interested in me. Uh, and wants more info on my backgrounds, our team has put together a very flattering Inside the Innovators article, uh, which I think they're going to be linking in the chat. So if you want more background on me and why the heck I'm here talking to you today, you can feel free to take a look at that. Um, but I'm going to focus on Brad here because I think you're some someone that I think has a lot to say on the telecom industry that some folks may not necessarily recognize or expect. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about, you know, how did you come to be involved in telecom while a professor of computer science? Uh, you know, it's a it's a really funny story. Uh, the um, I was in the middle of my PhD in computer science. And uh, up until that point, I had been working in computer security and looking at, you know, kind of the traditional topics, the you know, malware, viruses, stuff like that. And um, one of the sort of gauntlets or, uh, you know, dark nights of the soul that you go through during a PhD is, what am I going to do my dissertation on? Yeah. And, um, you know, the first year or two, um, you don't know what's been done. You don't know what hasn't been done. And every idea you have has already been done. And it's terrifying, and you think you're never going to have anything interesting to say or do. And um, in the middle of this, I went um, I went to visit my parent, uh, my grandparents over Christmas break. And um, I remember sitting and watching uh, one of the bowl games. I can't remember which, but I remember that the phone was just ringing off the hook. Um, they've had the same landline number since. 1972, I think. So, uh, and they were just getting hammered with robocalls. And, you know, I, I, and I thought to myself, man, somebody should be doing something about this. And then about six months later, it occurred to me, maybe I could be the someone who did something about it. And, um, and so I started working with my PhD advisor, uh, who, um, uh, had uh, done some work in uh, cellular and telco himself, and 
um, we started to look at the problem of, of robocalls in particular. And where we dialed in was uh, this concept of, uh, of positive authentication. Mm-hmm. So knowing that when you get a call, it's actually from who it says it's from. The thinking being that if you have that, then perhaps uh, you know, people who are doing spoofing and things like that aren't really going to be um, all that effective. And uh, telco isn't really uh, a common topic in in the uh, ivory halls of academia, um, especially not in in computing. And um, but um, the more I dug into to telco, the more I realized that telco faces a lot of the same problems with uh, fraud and abuse. Um, admittedly, with some you know unique and really interesting twists, but. There is a lot that we can apply that we've learned from, say, other forms of internet abuse. Um, you know, per, you know, talking about um, email spam email or links, phishing, etc. Uh, yeah, or, or other things that maybe we don't think of on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, or you know, even the concept of identity, right. exactly. Uh, in the in the network, uh, and uh, you know, so the theme of my dissertation was trying to figure out how we can provide positive authentication with uh, of, of phone calls using the kinds of things that worked on the internet. So when you go to amazon.com, you pull up that, uh, you, know, you pull up the browser. Uh, if you do what the security people tell you to, you look for the little lock in the mm-hmm. top left corner and you feel warm and fuzzy about typing in your credit card number. Well, maybe not warm and fuzzy, and, but slightly more warm and fuzzy about your credit card number. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe I should see if I have a, a shopping problem <laughs> if I feel that warm and fuzzy. There you're good. Uh, but um, so the the key idea was, can we take the mechanisms that worked in for the web uh, and solving the problem of identity and bring them into telco. Uh, and, and so we built a couple of systems that looked at this. And uh, top of our mind was, was two things. One, we were, we were outsiders. And um, what that meant was that if we wanted to build something that had a snowball's chance of actually working, we needed to do it... Uh, we need to be able to do it in such a way that end users could decide to do it themselves mm-hmm. with um, sort of on an end-to-end basis rather than having to um, have networks come to agreement. Part of that was practical. Um, I wanted to graduate this century. And <laughs> uh, and so I wasn't going to uh, be able to convince a telco to let me jump into their right, network end-to-end. and start messing yeah. with stuff. Uh, and so we really focused on what could we do, say, with a smartphone, and um, and and so that was um, the main perspective that we were thinking about. The other thing that was top of mind was the heterogeneity of the network. Um, that's a big word. I managed to fit it into the title of my dissertation somehow, um, but we didn't want to be looking at a system that was only VoIP. Um, because we knew that, especially at the time I was doing this work, um, you know, starting in 2014, 2015, uh, you know, TDM was still alive and still well, is. Um, and yeah. it still is. Uh, 
and we we wanted to be able to deal with all of the different variations of of network because you know the old stuff sticks around a lot longer than anybody expects and um, telco is also really interesting in that it's not as ossified as, say, the internet. Um, we've been stuck on IPv4 since, um, well, uh, as long as I've been alive. Um, but if you look at telco, um, you know, the transition to VoIP um, has happened within the careers of, of everyone on this call and listening in on the podcast. Um, you look at what happens in cellular every 10 years, you completely redesign the network. Yeah, it's crazy to think about because, you know, I tend to think of telecom as this slow moving industry that's way, you know, but you're right. I, I guess, you know, a lot of the protocol systems that we've been technologies that we've used, I think one of the challenges we have today when we think about a system of authentication to rule them all is as you know this innovation we've had has made the industry so competitive and diverse and yeah brought a lot of new players in but now we have to reconcile all of those which is why it was so crazy when i i went back and looked at your dissertation i haven't read all of it by the way i will freely admit (laughs) me either (laughs) it's it's been blocked out of your memory but i just looking and seeing oh what is it 2017 you were writing an entire framework for call authentication yeah um and and so in some ways it it felt like um because we because this was around the time that um stir and and the stuff that was happening with the stir task force was um it was happening concurrently Mm. um and we were you know, a little aware of, of what was happening over there, but we were almost um, strictly focused on on dealing with the non-VoIP case, um, just assuming that, um, you know, not really caring about whether we were dealing with VoIP or, um, or TDM or, you know, carrier pigeon. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two strings and, a, and uh, or two tin cans and a string, whatever the case yeah. was. Um, and part of that was simply um, because when you start a phone call, um, if, if you're thinking end to end, I I can't tell you what technologies it's going to use from beginning to end. Yeah, I think the industry's seeing a lot of that now with a lot of the lack of end to end, even sort of shaken authentication that's happening. I think I've seen estimates, you know, from different parties of maybe 15, 20, 25% of calls are reaching their destination with a signature attached. And a lot of that loss is being attributed to non-IP networks in the middle that are not transmitting the data. Um, so with for without us reading your dissertation, could you, how, how can you solve for this? So this is, you know, this is a, a fantastic question. Um, and, there's a couple of ways of, of thinking about it. Our we took a, a couple of different um, whacks at this particular mm. problem. Um, our first whack was really thinking about leveraging the fact that uh, for voice we moved away from dumb endpoints to smart endpoints without really realizing it. And, and by that I mean the transition from you know um, uh, standard you know uh, pots phones to you know, really smart VoIP phones mm-hmm. or or smartphones, really, and and so what we what we keyed in on is that 
there's a lot of computation that you can do there that you couldn't do before. And that enables us to do things like use strong cryptography to provide um, authentication of identity. The problem, and, and this, is, this is what you were hinting at, the problem is how do I get my identity from my phone to yours, especially if I have no idea what path the right. call is taking? And so our, in our, our first look at this problem, we said, you know, we don't know anything about this call except that we can transmit audio. It's band limited, it's compressed, uh, and uh, it's noisy and lossy, but right. it's audio. And so we actually, um, we actually built, uh, uh, built our own sort of modem, and we, would, uh, and we figured out how to uh, do really strong cryptographic authentication in a tiny amount of space and transmit it over, over the phone hmm. line. Um, now, most folks uh, here probably remember the old days of, you know, the V92 modems that you used for, for dial-up internet. Um, and it turns out that um, that doesn't work if you are, um, if your call is being compressed in root. Mm. Um, because compression, by definition, takes out all of the extra space that you would use Got for it. data. Uh, and so, um, you know, the chief technical challenge there was actually, how do we shove data into the voice channel? Um, the problem with that is that, uh, to have a voice channel, you have to answer the phone. Right. And that's, uh, you know, especially with the current regime of robocalls, this is something that we, we don't right. want to be doing. Um, so our second approach, um, was to have effectively, a um, an out of band authentication that happens over over the data network over IP. So the idea is that you would have a um, sort of a, a central meeting server, sort of you know the role that um, you know stun or turn servers play in, in VoIP, if, if that's something that um, you play with much. So I don't, but for the the newbies and the out of band, my understanding being, you know, if you're not transmitting the information over the pathway of the actual call itself, you and the initiator and the recipient are separately accessing a common data source where you're both agreeing this is where all of our credentials are essentially going to be stored. That's the, that's exactly the case. Um, so the the idea is that um, you would uh, when you place a phone call, what you do is uh, you know you you place the call as if you know through the phone network, uh, through the voice network, whatever that means mm -hmm. for you, whether that's cellular or landline or something else. Uh, but simultaneously, you send a data request to a central server. And what the server does is um, it, it does a little bit of authentication on its own, but mostly it just it just does some matchmaking. So when you're when the call um, request gets to the other destination, the endpoint there can um, phone. No, that's the worst word I could use. Can contact the 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 server and say. Hey, I'm seeing a call from this number. Can you tell me right. anything about it? And if and you know, and so they can pass what you know, something like a token that says, "Hey, this is the actual identity who's calling you at this particular point." So uh, that being, you know, a way of resolving this sort of transmission loss that could theoretically happen. 
how does that compare with stir shaken as it exists today and i'd love to hear your thoughts on stir shaken sort of as a solution what what are some pros what are some cons and you know to be fair i think we've got some folks on the call that are heavily involved in stir shaken um for those that are listening live and and you know after the fact i i think for those I've talked to, there's some compromises that have to be made for, you know, doing that transmission in call, but curious to hear your thoughts on it as a solution. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to do the professor thing and start really far away from your question and then hone in. Uh, so, um, the, the first thing I would say, um, is that, um, if we were if we were trying to build telephony today um, from scratch, um, you know, even even VoIP, um, we would we would have made a lot of decisions differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is, and I think that something like Stir is what would have been the ideal design for a you know a clean start network. Mm-hmm. Um, if everybody, I think, you know, I'm sure the, the stir folks would agree on this, that if everybody is, is, um, is VoIP compliant, uh, stir works great. Um, at least in, t- at least in terms of the technology and, and moving things, you still have the problem of mapping the cryptography to identities and right. Or phone numbers still good in terms of the actual calling party identity on and on and on. But at least, you know, the outset goal of, is this phone number being spoofed? Right. Exactly. And identity is one of those things where there's a big technical component to it, but there's always going to be that sort of. Uh, social or you know extra technical uh, mm-hmm. beyond technical aspect to it um, that um, you can't solve with technology right. um, and and so I think that stir was the solution to the the problem that we would have had if everybody were had done a flag day and moved on to VoIP at the same time mm-hmm. and uh, you know as you pointed out um, I actually hadn't heard the um, the numbers on this until today, but something like 25% of calls are losing their information. Is that what, isn't that what you said a few minutes ago? Yeah. I've seen several different sources and they're all sort of operating on their own insular data on, and, and pool of, of call information. But, you know, I, I've seen some estimates as, as low as 25% of calls are reaching their destination with stir shaken information attached. So, you know, seventy-five percent of calls being unsigned at this point. I'm yeah. gonna have that figure exa- not exactly right, but it's it's majority. I think I I would agree are, are unsigned at this point. Yeah, and that matches you know that matches my experience as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I you know, I had been attributing that mostly to the small carrier exception that um, mm-hmm. have, has been in the um, FCC rules. Um, Still, um, you know, the problem is that we're stuck with TDM and non-compliant transit operators and right. other issues where um, things get lost in the shuffle. And so um, the you know, the stir folks um, in the working group, um, I think, going back as far back as 2017, maybe even earlier, um, had a had a working group on doing things out of band. Mm. And um, their solution, if I um, if I recall it correctly, worked 
kind of similar to what we were doing, uh, except um, there is a big philosophical difference. Uh, I'm coming from an internet and computing background, and um, the, mon the, the thing I teach my students about the difference between uh, what you typically see in CS and, and telco is, um, is a difference in philosophy and mindset. Mm -hmm. um, telco has always had a smart network with fairly dumb and untrustworthy endpoints, and the internet flipped that around entirely. Um, you know, unless if you want to do anything other than moving a packet across the internet, good luck. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's all the internet will likely ever do in the core. Uh, and the uh, you know the initial proposals for um, stir out a band from the IETF working group took that continued that approach that we saw in stir of making the network the arbiter of of identity mm -hmm. um, and and the source of truth for the authentication of a particular um, uh, you know, signaling and you know, obviously there's pluses and minuses to either direction sure um, but um, I would encourage folks, um, I know that the, the uh, you mentioned earlier to me, I think in the green room, that the FCC um, has a request for comments out now on um, on non-IP stir shaken. Yep. Um, and I would encourage folks to really consider um, the possibilities that could come about through involving the endpoint more in, in the process. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, in the computer science world, maybe an example of sort of bring it back the a endpoint focused solution that you've seen be successful or at least nominally successful in another industry? Yeah, this is a this is a great question. And the the truth is um, that where where you see centralized solutions being most effective are in situations where you want global, where you need a lot of visibility to be able to make good decisions. Mm. Uh, so um, the classic example of this is spam filtering. Uh, you know, I could run my own mail server uh, and I can send and receive email. Um, you know, I can, I can build my own AI classifiers to try to label spam, but I will never beat Gmail because they have better visibility and better training data. Yep. Where um, where decentralized solutions are um, are really helpful are in situations where the network is not in a position um, to see or control everything, um, and that might be for scalability or performance or just practicality. So let me mm -hmm. give you a couple of examples of that. Um, uh, so the um, you know, if we want to talk about why distributed systems um, across, work across the internet, the the best example is the domain name system. So mm -hmm. um, this is this uh, if you need a uh, refresher, uh, the this is the system that uh, takes something like Google.com and converts it into the IP address that you actually need to put on your packets so that they get to Google. And the way that the system works is that it's hierarchical. So that's what all the dots are doing. Uh, so um, the com is, uh, is runs itself differently from org, different from US and UK and so on. And then um, 
the domains below that, so say google.com, uh, google.com is actually responsible for um, serving its own names. Um, and mm. it's not, and, and that's true for every, every domain, um, whether we're talking google.com or bradreeves.net. Uh, and, uh, you know, and each level you go, there's uh, the possibility for even further delegation. And this is really important because, um, you know, you, your computer is making, you know, potentially dozens of um, DNS requests every second. Right. And that's, that's just one machine. And you multiply that by the size of the internet a centralized solution just would never, ever scale. Yeah, you can't have somebody sitting in the middle. You know, email is one thing where it's not a real-time transaction. There's time in the middle. I, it strikes me that telecom is this sort of unique hybrid problem where it is, you know, you have a decentralized, enormous group of actors all over the place and real-time communications, at least certainly for voice and Ideally, for messaging, you have close to real time, if not real time. So it's it's kind of the worst of both worlds, so to speak, in terms of forming a solution. You know, that's a you know that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, since you, but um, to come back to your earlier question, since mm. you asked about you know what are you know what are some places where say an endpoint focused or or um, or decentralized solutions make more sense, mm-hmm. um, specifically thinking in terms of of fraud and and abuse and authentication um going back to the little lock that i talked about that gives Mm -hmm. me warm and fuzzy feelings um the um so that's uh the the web ecosystem um for um for tls uh, transport layer security Mm -hmm. um, that provides a sense of identity for the entire web um is also completely decentralized and um, it's largely run by the endpoints so it's you know Amazon or Google or whoever's job to um, get a, um, a certificate that um, clearly identifies them as Google um, binds them to their cryptographic material and uh, and allows them to figure out exactly how it is that they want to manage identity internally. So uh, if you uh, if you want to really geek out, you can go into the details, um, click the lock, and and go in deep into the menus um, on some different Google properties. And what you'll see is that uh, there are a, they Google does a, a good job of um, having separate and distinct identities for most of their properties. So mm-hmm. um, and this is a a nice sort of separation of concerns, so that. If, for example, um, you know, a Gmail is compromised, it's not necessarily going to affect, you know, docs or, or some other part of the platform. Yeah, it makes sense. And that sort of leads back to this idea of, you know, you have decentralized actors and real-time communications based on, you know, what you've outlined. It, it really seems like, you know, decentralized identity plus consolidated spam analytics to an extent, or at least consolidated by platform, where there can be a marketplace a la Gmail of, you know, this person does the best job, I really want to work with them as my email provider. Both of those can come into play. I, I Unfortunately, we're going to run out of time, sadly. I could talk to you for like three hours about this. Um, 
I do want to jump into a couple pieces. I had a, a question for you as well. Um, well, one, I, I'll, I'll, I'll add one in here. Um, we don't see much of academia in telecom. Mm -hmm. Is that, in your experience, having worked with insert security in other industries, is that common? And if not, why do you think telecom is, is different from those other industries? So, um, yeah, so that's a, that's a fantastic question. And um, you know, there is a, you know, there's the stereotype of the ivory tower full of academics who are, uh, you know, um, all they want to do is spend time thinking about things that are unrealistic and will never matter. And, um, I can't ever be relevant to anything in the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, and in computing, that's almost never the case. Um, computing professors, uh, you know, and myself and most of my colleagues at NC State, um, spend a lot of time doing our best to try to talk to industry to find out where the real problems are and how our position as, uh, as sort of a neutral party who, you know, doesn't have, um, uh, you know, a profit margin in the game can think about, um, you know, different ways to solve important problems. And, you know, speaking for myself in particular, all I want to do is um, do something that matters. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my experience has been that, um, you know, talking about, about telco now is I – I don't think that um, folks in, um, you know, fraud and security and authentication realize um, how much of a resource academics can be. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, we we have, uh, you know, we've seen um, things in other domains that might be helpful. Um, we also have access to the best students uh, that you might want to recruit for uh, for your company. Um, but um, most of all, we can do things that um, you know might be on a, a longer time frame than you know hitting your numbers next quarter, right? Or you know finding the resources to answer interesting questions that may not be of immediate business importance to to you individually. Um, I unfortunately we are going to run out of time. I do want to give a quick plug to uh, a question. Uh, that was submitted, which I really appreciate, which is um, a shout out to your department's 2020 paper um, for genius conclusions here. I'm just going to give a shout out. We'll, we can send around a link after the call to, to participants just to, to make sure that folks can see that. Um, some of the conclusions that your department, your students and you came up with through analyzing a honeypot and the, the robocalls that were coming through and some of the conclusions that can be drawn, I think is a perfect example of what you were just talking about where, you know, maybe that doesn't make financial sense and it's not in the business industry uh, interests of a telecom provider to, to look and find those, the, those answers, but they have so much value to challenging our assumptions about, okay, what, what do robocalls actually look like and, and what do we need to do about them? So, um, I, would love to do this again. We should absolutely do a follow-up uh, session of this, but in the interest of time, I just want to say thank you again, Brad, for joining us. Um, we're definitely going to see hopefully more of you, and I would encourage 
uh, those that are listening to reach out if they see another opportunity for, for Brad and his team to um, consult on anything that's going on in the wide world of telecom. And I just want to say thank you again, Brad, for joining and for the insights. It's great as always to chat. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks, your source of truth in the communications industry. Rebecca Johnson and Anise Jaffer will be back for our next live episode on Tuesday, November 22nd, to discuss the rapid changes being made at Twitter since Elon Musk's takeover, which has only solidified the platform as an untrustworthy source of content and not as a provider of truth, news, media, or identity. They'll provide an overview of what this means for the presentation of identity and discuss how his approach in other industries like telecom has only served to allow fraud onto the network. We hope to see you there.